Good morning, everybody. That was some good singing. Our scripture this morning is Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 14. And I forgot to look it up in the Pew Bible. So if anybody has the 831 in the Red Pew Bible, if you want to follow along, or on the screen. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. But it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If, anyone, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already gained, already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How was everybody today? Good. I'm glad. It's going to be a great day today, right? All right. I brought something with me. Anybody have a guess? Hmm? Buttons. It says buttons. It does say buttons on it. But it also says Oreos on it. Doesn't sound like Oreos, no. Buttons. Buttons, buttons. Who's got the button, right? That's a game. But I can guarantee that most of you have some sort of container with odd buttons in it in your house, right? You don't? You have lots of buttons. I know you do. Oh, well, that's good. Um, Buttons have been always fascinating to me. Um, Maybe it's because I sew. Uh, 
I don't know, but I just think buttons are amazing. And um, I have boxes and boxes of buttons, so if you're ever missing one, I probably have it. Um, however, when I looked through my wardrobe today, because I wanted to wear something that had buttons on it, this was really the only thing I could find. My sweaters have buttons, but most of my dresses don't have buttons. How many of you are wearing things with buttons? I see some of you, mostly men, <coughs> wearing buttons. You don't have any buttons? He does, yeah. And buttons come in all shapes and sizes. I have some itty-bitty teeny ones here that are really little, and I have some really big ones. Buttons are made from all sorts of things. Some are made from plastic, some are made from bone, some from shell. Yes, Hayden? Carissa has some buttons on? Ah. What's your question? You are absolutely right. I was just about to say that. How did you know? But they are. Sometimes they're made out of glass. This one's made out of shells. Uh, but I do have glass buttons in here somewhere. And I have ones that are made out of metal. Sometimes they're covered in cloth. Sometimes they're not. But why do we need buttons? What's your other question? Oh, sometimes you have buttons that are Halloween-type buttons, right? They glow in the dark? Maybe. I don't know. But buttons, what do we use them for? What are they, other than to make pretty collections? Do you know, by the way, that there is a button museum in Munson, Massachusetts? There is. It's the Myra Keep. Homestead Museum, and it's in, in Munson, and it is amazing. It has itty-bitty buttons and really big buttons and buttons from all over the world and the most beautifully painted buttons. Um, quite a few years ago, well, would paper buttons work too well on your clothes? Probably not. But at that museum, um, when Katie was, what, 10, 12, um, they made a, a video, a movie, of the story of Myra Keep, and she was in it. Um, but it's, that's how we found out about the museum. But it's really quite a lovely little museum, so if you're looking for something to do, go visit it. Um, Books. I've seen yarn buttons where you make a, like a monkey's knot or a sailor's knot out of yarn, but I've never seen one made out of a book. I've seen ones that look like books, little buttons that look like books. But what is the purpose of a button? Hmm? Uh, it holds stuff together. It fastens things together. It joins them together. Sometimes they're circles. Sometimes they're not. I have some that aren't circles. 
Sometimes they're squares. Yes, and sometimes they're fancy and have jewels on them. Yes, I've seen triangle buttons. But no matter what the purpose, I mean, what they look like, they have one purpose, and that's to join two things together. And the opening verse of our scripture today talks about us um, rejoicing in the Lord. Now, if you look at some of the other translations, it talks about being joyful in our union with the Lord, or in our being joined with the Lord. And I think the whole passage actually talks about it, not necessarily using those words, but being connected, being joined together. Like, just a minute, okay. Can I finish and then you can ask it? Okay, so when you button something, it connects it. It makes it together. And that's what God wants us to be, connected with him, joined with him, one with him. Because when it's connected, it's one. That hole is filled that we have in our lives with Jesus or God, with the love. And when we are joined to God, we can then connect to other people and connect that love that way. So, when you button your clothes, if you do, or if you happen to pull out that jar of buttons or box of buttons, think about that, being connected, that joining, that relationship that we have that fills the holes in our lives and can fill the holes in other lives. So be a button. Connect things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you want to be connected with us. Help us to want to be connected to you and to rejoice in that connection and to share that connection with everyone we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if you're missing a button, come see me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will give us grace to trust you more. In your name, amen. Have you noticed a theme today? The name, Jesus. So we just sang, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I forgot about this hymn until last week I was on Twitter, which I'm not on very much anymore because even more crazy than it used to be. And um, one of my friends there, Zeru Fitzum, an Ethiopian-American, um, was posting, he said, when I hear Tis So Sweet, I want to sing Oh for Grace to Trust You at All. Life can be a lot, and Jesus is worth putting my trust in, but it's hard to ask for more trust when the trust has been snuffed out and feels non-existent. And that really kind of stuck with me, and I also thought, oh, I like that hymn. And then on Monday night, for some reason, still don't know why, I had really bad insomnia, and while I was awake, it wasn't the worst insomnia, though, because hymns kept going through my head, including this one. So when I finally, at like 3 o'clock in the morning, decided I'm not falling back to sleep, so I got up, 
I went on my computer and I emailed Sue and I said, you don't have to pick the hymns this week. I already know which ones because they've been going through my head. And I said, and one of them was, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Did not know she was planning to play it for the meditation also. <laughs> so it's, it's time for this song. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus because Jesus is fully trustworthy. He's the only one, the only thing in our lives who is fully trustworthy. But it's also hard to trust him sometimes, like my friend Zaru said, because we can't see him, and over the course of our lives, we have learned to trust so many other things instead, including where we came from. I'm just going to go here. It is impossible, it was, at least it was impossible for me this week, not to think about what's happening in Israel in connection to both our responsive reading and our passage in Philippians 3. And I, I'm going to say something here to help you understand what I am not saying later in this sermon. Um, please listen carefully. Some of you may have heard me before say that I'm not convinced that the pro present political state of Israel is God's best intention. But that part doesn't matter very much. Here's the part that matters. The rise in visible, violent, and vocal anti-Semitism that has erupted everywhere since the Hamas attack is beyond concerning. It is evil. There is a spiritual element to this anti-Semitism. It is bad. It Just the fact that we're seeing this uncovers the fact that there is still deep spiritual significance in the Jewish people. They were chosen by God way, 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 way back in human history to reflect God to the world and to be the people through whom salvation for the world would come. And God still cares for them they are somehow still his chosen people, even though most of them have not yet embraced Jesus as their Messiah and as the, Jesus as the fulfillment of their purpose. And so the fact that we are seeing such hatred against the Jewish people, again, there's a spiritual element to it. As Gentile Christians, we have been grafted into the tree of salvation that comes from the Jews. We didn't, it didn't come from Gentiles. It didn't come from us. It didn't come from Europe, England, or Scandinavia, or any of those places. It came from the Jewish people. And so, even if not all of us agree with the decisions that political leaders make in this arena, and while we also need to not forget that we have spiritual brothers and sisters among the Palestinians, we also need to pay attention when we see anti-Semitism like we're seeing right now. And when we encounter it, we need to be sure that we're not entertaining it and also that we're not tolerating it around us. I need to say this first because in a few minutes it's going to sound like the Apostle Paul and I are saying something kind of the opposite. Um, 
Paul is going to make the point in our chapter today that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is the only one that we need to find our identity in. And the only one that we can trust to rescue us and reunite us from God. This is true. This is biblical. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying under the... um, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and it is not to say that the Jewish people don't matter anymore. So I just, I just need to, to try to be clear about that. The Jewish people matter. The Jewish people are chosen by God. They still matter. Um, and Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is the only way to be saved. But first, we're going to talk about Psalm 80, which we read <coughs> in our responsive reading. It was written by a guy named Asaph, and it outlines how God formed his people to represent him by freeing them from slavery in Egypt. God rescued them from Egypt, and he set them up in their own place, and Asaph, in this psalm, in this poem, is acknowledging that the people that God chose to represent him have not been faithful to do that. And so... In Asaph's time, they are suffering the consequences of exile because they weren't living up to the purpose that God rescued them for. And this is um, something that we should keep in mind, having been rescued by that same God, that we need to, like Paul said in, in our passage last week, work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And so this psalm is a lament. It is not grumbling and complaining, like we also talked about last week. It is a lament. It is a repenting of sin, and it is grief over the suffering that they're experiencing. And it is an acknowledgement that only God can give the people their identity back. Make your face shine on us, again, is implied, and we will be saved. That's how any of us will be saved, not because of who we are. We haven't been that. So Asaph is saying, we're your people, but we haven't, been your, we haven't been acting like your people. We won't be saved by who we are, but because of who you are. And if you turn back to, to us to save us, we will be saved. So now we're back to Philippians. The Apostle Paul has been telling us in great detail how God made his face shine on his people and all nations again by humbling himself in Jesus, becoming obedient to death on a cross, and then being raised up, resurrected and glorified. That was at the beginning of chapter 2. Jesus himself went through the suffering of his people. The Jewish people have suffered throughout their history, and sometimes it's because of their disobedience, like Asaph is describing. And sometimes it's because, frankly, Some of the spiritual powers in the world are not happy that the Jewish people exist. Jesus is the full fulfillment of the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, the chosen people, and he went through their suffering. Jesus is the Son of Man God has raised up for himself that Asaph um, describes. Jesus is the true representative, not just of what human beings were meant to be in general, but what the Israelites were chosen to be. Last week, Paul, the Apostle Paul told the Philippians and us that now, to fulfill God's purpose, 
God's way and God's will, we need to work our, out our salvation with fear and trembling. My Paul said after the service, he was like, I feel like you could summarize that by saying, treat or act out our salvation with the respect it deserves. And I thought that was a really good, I'm going to probably just make a little meme <laughs> out of it. Um, so treat and act out our salvation with the respect it deserves because of what Jesus did to get it for us and become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which we shine like the stars in the universe. <laughs> How do we become blameless and pure again? Well, yes, but in this context, without grumbling and complaining, or without grumbling and arguing. And this helps us shine like stars in the universe because it makes us so very different. It helps make Jesus famous. That's what we talked about last week. And so then Paul carries on from that and says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I noticed our older translation in the Pew Bible. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters. But then he goes on for another while. So, so it's probably good that now it's translated further. So don't grumble and complain. Shine like the stars in the universe. Make Jesus famous and rejoice in him. Don't just not grumble. Don't just not argue. Rejoice. Remember that Jesus is delightful because that will help. Um, I was in a, in a group this week with some other spiritual directors, and we were reading Psalm 40 together, and in the translation we were reading it said, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and we were talking about how sometimes it is delightful but not <laughs> to do God's will. And I, it reminded me of what we've been talking about in Philippians, about God delighting in us and us delighting in God, and I said, I think it's easier to delight in obeying when there's already delight in the relationship to begin with. If you are delighted with the person, then it's much easier to do what they ask you to do, right? And so Paul is saying, basically, you know, things are, are getting hard, things are going to get hard. Don't forget that Jesus is delightful. When trusting Jesus is sweet, like the hymn says, we will have grace to trust him more. But there is a lurking danger, and that is putting confidence in what Paul calls the flesh. The flesh is a frustrating term in English because we have turned it into basically being about sex, and that is almost never what specifically what Paul is talking about. Um, Putting confidence in the flesh in the New Testament, when, especially when Paul is talking about it, basically means putting confidence in myself as a human being without um, the help of God. So everything that I can do on my own steam, the good things that I can do, or the, or the sinful things, all the, all the things um, that are just me. In this case, what Paul is talking about is people who, he says, beware of the people who put their confidence in the flesh, the people who are putting their confidence in their ethnic or historic identity. And in this case, the people that he's talking about who are doing that are 
people with a Jewish identity. This is why I said what I said at the beginning, so you can say, so you know that I'm not being anti-Semitic here, or Paul, and Paul isn't either. Don't forget, Paul is Jewish. That is part of his point in this passage. The Jewish ethnic identity had a direct impact on the flesh of at least the men. There was a procedure called circumcision that was enacted on all Jewish men, and that was how they knew they were Jewish. And it was a physical identifying mark that God had told Abraham about way, way back. And there were people who we met when we were studying the book of Galatians together two years ago, um, who some people called the Judaizers. They were, basically, they were Christians. They, they were Jewish background Christians. They believed in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, but they were trying to get all of the new Gentile Christians to become Jewish first. They were basically saying, you can't be saved, really, until you are obeying all the Jewish laws, including the one about circumcision, and you have to be fully Jewish before you can actually benefit from our Jewish Messiah. And they were incorrect. And that was a really big deal to the Apostle Paul. Um, these people were not really a problem in Philippi yet, but Paul has had to deal with them before. You know how sometimes I tell you about stuff that's happening in the American church that I know because of my friends online in other parts of the country, and you guys are like, what? This is sort of what Paul is doing here. He is saying, look, there are these people, and they're doing this thing, and they're pr you're probably going to meet some of them pretty soon. Um, and I just don't want you to, to get confused and think that, all of a sudden you have to become Jewish before you can actually know Jesus. Paul says the sign of being God's chosen people anymore is not, first of all, it's not only for males, it is now for everybody, and it's not circumcision, it is being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, Paul says, in case you don't believe me, of all of the people who could possibly benefit from Jewishness, it's me. It's not me. It's Paul, but I'm pretending to be Paul. Okay. Um, he's saying, listen, I have all the cred here. If someone else, this is in the Bible, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Sometimes we like to say, well, you know, God tried this thing by giving the Israelites the law, and nobody can perfectly obey the law, and so he had to send Jesus instead, like a plan B kind of thing. But Paul is saying, oh, I actually did Fully observe the law. I had all of it. But add Jesus, the fulfillment of Israel, the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of all of that to the equation, and none of that matters. Paul says, I will take my Jewish heritage and my accomplishments and flush them down the toilet rather than give up Jesus. I consider them garbage by the way, 
That's a nice translation. That word in Greek is actually a toilet word. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found by him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Some people think that Paul was anti-Jewish. Definitely not. In other places, he would say, in Romans, he would say he would rather go to hell himself if that meant that somehow his Jewish brothers and sisters would get to know that Jesus is their true Messiah. And here, he is kind of saying something similar. And this is the crazy witch. In verses 10 and 11, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. In a way, Paul actually did this. He says he wants to know Christ and, and in every single way, the power of his resurrection and the sufferings. And he willingly, like he just described Jesus doing in chapter 2, he gave up everything that he was basing his identity before. In chapter 2, Jesus, Paul says that Jesus gave up his rights to being God. He was God, but he gave up those rights and humbled himself to suffering and death and then was raised up. And Paul has actually done the same thing. He is his right as a law-abiding, able to trace his heritage back to the tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, leader in the Jewish community, all of those rights, all of that stuff that he could have trusted in, that he could have built his identity around, he has also put that aside because Jesus put his rights aside. He would rather have Jesus. He is saying to his Philippian brothers and sisters in Christ, it is better to follow Jesus, it is better to put aside my rights and follow Jesus through suffering to resurrection than any possible future without him. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point of being a Christian. Jesus is the point of following Jesus. <laughs> we don't follow Jesus so that, I mean, there are other things that we get when we follow Jesus. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. But those things stop being the point when Jesus becomes the point. Paul is over his righteous according to the law identity. <clears throat> he wants to identify so closely with Jesus that he experiences everything it means to be Jesus if Jesus were Paul. Remember how we talk about what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he were you? Paul wants to experience everything Jesus would be if he were Paul. The power and the suffering. I mean, the power of Jesus' resurrection sounds great. 
can we just like skip the suffering and get to that part? I haven't really suffered that much in my life, but I used to pray this prayer all the time in my 20s before I went on the mission field, and then I don't very much anymore. <laughs> and this is why Zeru's observation about tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you at all, really kind of hit home to me. I want to say Paul's prayer. I want to say, and mean it, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. But I'm kind of scared to pray this prayer. Can I trust him? Can I afford not to trust him? C.S. Lewis said, look for yourself and you will find only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else. This is Jesus' crazy wish for us, too. He doesn't want us to suffer for suffering's sake, but he does want us to be like him, and the only way we can be like him is to follow him down and back up. He is the most trustworthy one. There is nothing else that we can put our trust in as securely as Jesus. Not ourselves, not our heritage, not our religious, cultural, ethnic, national background. We cannot trust our flesh. Whatever our heritage, whatever our accomplishments, whoever we know, except for Jesus. We can trust his goodness, his righteousness, and we can trust that that is all we need to be rescued. We can trust that he will be with us in the suffering, and we can trust that we will know the power of his resurrection. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Let's pray, and then let's sing a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Lord, thank you so much that we can trust you. We do pray that you will help us to find our identity more and more in you and that no matter what happens, it will be delightful. In your name, amen.